welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, today is Palm Sunday, as we mentioned earlier. Sunday in which uh, the church all around the world remembers and celebrates this event that we just read, this thing known as the Triumphal Entry. It marks the beginning of Holy Week, which is the week leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus, which also means that we are entering the last week of Lent. Uh, And I don't know uh, about you, but I've actually kind of enjoyed the approach that we uh, tried to bring to Lent this year in, in, in our church. You see, usually Lent is practiced as a somber season of giving things up, of entering into isolation and deprivation, of reminding ourselves of the brokenness within us within the world of standing in solidarity with those who suffer. And because of that, one of the central practices of Lent uh, is, is always that you take something that you enjoy, something that's a regular part of your life, um, and you give it up for Lent. It's kind of a symbolic experience of suffering and deprivation. But of course, as you've heard us say a lot over the course of this series, as we came into this into Lent this year, it sort of kind of felt like, you know, we're sort of already have been in this season of brokenness and suffering. In some way, we had already kind of already given up a whole bunch of things that we really, really enjoyed about life. So because of that, we thought we'd structure our church's observation of Lent, not so much around stepping into brokenness and suffering, but as kind of the first steps of freedom from brokenness and suffering. And so our call to fast this Lent has been, to call, has been a call to fast from uh, those things that sort of represented the suffering that we had been in, stuff like isolation and anger and anxiety and discouragement and virtual living, not because it's all over, And there's nothing to worry about anymore. Not because there aren't people around the world who are still continuing to struggle and die from COVID. And of course, on top of that, now we have all this brand new shadow that's cast over the world from the, in the form of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has displaced millions of people more on top of the millions of people already displaced from Afghanistan, Syria, the various other suffering and trouble around the world. We didn't restructure Lent this year out of ignorance of the very real trouble and the very real suffering that is still very prevalent in the world. But it was more, I think, out of what we believed to be God's call to us to turn our focus to something else. Because, you see, sometimes you celebrate because your best hitter just hit a walk-off home run. But sometimes you celebrate because your best hitter has just stepped up to the plate. Which, as I was thinking about this impromptu parade for Jesus in this story that happened that day, I've asked myself, what kind of celebration was this for them? And I'm inclined to think that it was the latter. You see, at the time that all this is happening, the Jews were in the midst of their own season of darkness, their own extended Lent, if you will. This wasn't quite the two-year global pandemic that we've been experiencing. 
they were kind of in the middle of a 400-year-long season of occupation and oppression by foreign uh, empires in which every aspect of their life had been disrupted. This period of occupation, of, of course, had been accompanied by a 400-year silence from God where they had not heard any direct communication from him. No reliable prophetic voice had been speaking into their community. The last few years, though, the last few years had been kind of different. Over the last few years, there had been some rumblings. There, I mean, first there's John the Baptist had appeared on the scene, and there was this wild, eccentric prophet, kind of like the ones they heard their ancestors talk about. And then his cousin. This guy named Jesus. He'd been roaming the country now for three years doing and saying things that had never been done or said by anybody. And so amazingly unique had been Jesus. A lot of people were beginning to wonder, were beginning to think that this guy might be the one. This guy might be the Messiah. Now, there's really nothing in our culture that, that can compare to what the promise of the Messiah was for the Jews. I mean, the closest we can come is when our favorite team drafts a player that everybody thinks might be the one that can come and fix all the problems of the chemistry and the team and help us win a championship. For the Jews, though, the promised Messiah was, wasn't going to just fix, you know, team chemistry. For them, the Messiah was going to fix everything. Everything from international threats to local supply chain issues, from health problems to unemployment. Now, of course, it would have been quite obvious to everyone there that day that these things had not all been fixed already. The Romans, of course, are still in power, as were all the other causes of their suffering. So I just don't think that the people gathered in the streets for what they thought was a victory parade. This was not a celebration that everything had been fixed. This was a celebration that the one who was going to fix everything was here. You know, when you've got, you got a project at the house and you're working on it and you get yourself in over your head. Uh, let's say you've cut into a pipe that you thought was a sprinkler pipe, only it turns out that it was connected to the main line. So now you have a fountain, you know, shooting water 20 feet up into the air and absolutely no idea what to do about it. And so you call your friend Eddie the plumber. And he says, well... I'm about 10 minutes away, so hang on. And so you stand out in front of your house watching water shoot 20 feet up in the air during a drought, feeling very, very foolish the entire time, like all your neighbors are watching you and judging you, like what kind of a person would cut into a main line and sit there and watch water shoot 20 feet. And those 10 minutes feel like an eternity. And boy, I tell you, when your friend, Eddie the plumber, shows up in the plumber truck, you... Celebrate. Even though there's still water flooding your yard and your neighbor's yard, because even though you can't see it yet, you know that the one who knows what he's doing and is going to fix the problem 
is there. That's, that's the celebration in the streets that day, I think. It was a celebration of what they believed Jesus would do. Really, it was a celebration of faith. A celebration of faith in Jesus. Now, of course, at that event, there's people that are all over the map here. Kind of like us here in this room. We're all over the map. Because, of course, faith, faith is not this on-off switch that you flip. You know, like you either have it or you don't. Really, faith is experienced at all different levels. So this very large crowd of people that are gathered there, and they're laying their cloaks down the street, and they're waving the palm branches, and they're all excited. And in that crowd, well, in that crowd, of course, there's the 12, right? The apostles, the Jesus' inner circle. These guys that have walked with him and lived with him for the past three years. They have heard every word that he has spoken. They have witnessed every miracle he has performed. They have left everything to follow Jesus and to be with Jesus here. Their faith in Jesus is at a point where they're not wondering if Jesus is the Messiah. No, their faith is at a point where they are convinced He is the Messiah. They are convinced He is the one who is going to fix everything that is broken. And so their celebration here, there's a celebration as if it is done. Which for some of us, that's where we're at today. Right? For some of us, our experience with Jesus has been such that we know what He does. We know that He is the one that will bring peace to our relationships, Peace to our country. Peace to our world. We know that He is the one who will heal our land, not just from COVID, but from the broad spectrum of brokenness that COVID has revealed. We know it's not because of wistful thinking. We know this not because of blind faith. We know it because we've seen it. You've seen it, haven't you? You've experienced it. You were lost in life and you took a step step of faith in Jesus and then you weren't lost anymore. You were in conflict in life, but then you trusted Jesus and His ways and His presence and you experienced reconciliation. You were broken, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, and you turned to Jesus and He healed you. Not hypothetically, not technically. You know that. Jesus says. And so we can celebrate that Jesus is going to bring us and our entire world out of the dark mess that we've been in, even if it hasn't happened yet. Because we know, well, that's just what Jesus does. And really, it's our job to get the party started. I mean, you look at at how the disciples did it in verse 37. Uh, They say, The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Hey, Peter, remember that time we were in the boat? And, you know, it's the waves, and it was like you're, Hey, Jesus, if it's you, and you're like, and you out there, and it's, yeah, that was awesome. That was so cool. Hey, remember that time that there was the... And they start, and they go. And all of a sudden, everybody's sharing stories and shouting, and there's a party. 
That's how we do it. We do it by talking about the great things that we have seen Jesus do for us, for our friends, for our family, for our nation. We tell our story, not from the perspective of our own ingenuity and clever orchestration. We tell our story from the perspective of God's grace for us. Of course, I imagine in that crowd, there were also a bunch of folks who had just kind of heard about Jesus. I mean, Jesus, his reputation has preceded him. Everybody was talking about him all the time. So they'd probably heard some of his teachings quoted or, you know, misquoted as these things uh, sometimes are. And the thought had begun to cross their mind that this might be the Messiah. Maybe they're not like 100% sure about him. These people are celebrating because of what they're hoping Jesus might do. But still, they're a part of the party. You know, like the friend who gets invited to the opening day, even though they don't really care about baseball, but they know that opening day is kind of a really big deal. So, wow, tickets to opening day, and they jump on the experience anyway. Which, again, sometimes that's us too, right? Sometimes our experience with Jesus, our faith in him, it doesn't go far enough to be like certain that Jesus is going to fix everything. But it goes far enough to hope that he does. To want him to. To imagine what it would be like if he did. But you know what? That's enough. You don't have to fake certainty to be a part of the celebration. I mean, maybe your marriage is on its last legs and no, you're not sure that Jesus is going to fix it. Maybe the cancer has gotten to the point where you're not 100% sure that Jesus is going to heal you. Maybe the trouble in our world, the racism, the judgmentalism, the crisis of identity, the, the threat of extinction is such that you don't know how it's going to turn out. But you have just enough faith in Jesus for you to believe that if Jesus does get his way in the world, that if the powers that be do turn and submit, to Jesus and his thoughts? Well, what a wonderful world that would be. Everything would be okay. Shalom would, in fact, reign in the heavens and on the earth. Because, of course, sometimes you celebrate the beauty of the flowers in the field. And sometimes you celebrate the first day of spring. Even though there's still snow on the ground. Because you know that the flowers, it's just a matter of time. Of course, there is a third group in this crowd of festivities. Only these people, these people aren't celebrating. These people are the religious powers of the day, the Pharisees. Now, they have their own confidence in Jesus as well. Only for them, their faith is not a source of comfort and hope. 
Uh, no, for them, their faith in Jesus is a source of fear. They are not celebrating what Jesus is going to do. No, they're afraid of what Jesus is going to do. He's going to upset the status quo. And they are the ones in power, at least they like to think they are. And as you know, a change in the status quo rarely benefits those who are presently in power. So while everyone else is celebrating, they're trying to shut the party down. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And yeah, we have to recognize sometimes we are like that as well. The idea of Jesus coming in and doing what he does in our situation scares us. Not that we like the status quo. I mean, none of the Pharisees would have said out loud that they liked the Romans being in charge. That they liked the corrupt puppet monarchy of Herod, that they liked the apostasy of the people and the fact that very few of them actually kept all the rules that they had so carefully delineated for Jewish life. In the same way, very few of us would say that we like the way the world is, that we like mass shootings in our city, that we like the restrictions of COVID, that we like the tension in the political spheres of our life, we probably would never say that we like the anxiety that we live with, that we like the anger and hate that we carry from past hurts, that we like the jealousy that we feel towards those who we feel are doing better than we are, the lazy apathy that we've developed for the hurting people of the world. But at the same time, We know that if Jesus gets his way, well, it's going to be very disruptive to our way of life, to our routine, to our status quo. And so when we hear of someone celebrating Jesus for all the good things that he's done, all the good things that they hope he is going to do, something inside of us says, Stop it! Be quiet! Shut it down! And you know you felt that way, right? I mean, uh, probably even now, you can remember a moment that that was your reaction to the sight of someone celebrating faith in Jesus. I know I can. We've all been there. And the point isn't whether we've ever been a Pharisee. The point is if we want to stay a Pharisee. Or if we want to lay down the power that we are clinging to and join the party. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, those are all the people in the crowd. But what about the guy on the donkey? What about Jesus? You know, Jesus... He's had this whole reputation, his whole life up until this point of being this humble guy, really trying to keep a low profile, not seeking anybody's attention. I mean, there's instances in his life where he literally, he goes out of his way to avoid 
situations exactly like the one that he's in right now. And so this, this event is really, I think, kind of out of character for him. Not just because there's this crowd around him celebrating, because, you know, yeah, to some degree he's sort of used to, that's been life for Jesus. But this case is unique. Because you see, when you look at it, Jesus is the one who sets this whole thing up. I mean, he orchestrates this grand entrance. He stops at the hill in front of Jerusalem. Before he gets, he tells his disciples to go and pick up this donkey without asking anybody about it. Oh, it'll be fine. Just tell them I need it. It'll be great. He jumps on it. He starts riding into Jerusalem. Jesus sets the whole scene up himself. He threw a parade for himself. That's weird to me. So what has changed for Jesus here? I mean, has he decided that he's done living in obscurity and that he's going to ask for his money now while they're excited? Or does he recognize the moment that God is up to something? That anybody who is paying attention knows that the time is now. So much so that if he hadn't organized this little parade, the rocks along the path leading to Jerusalem would have started singing on their own. You see, of all the people around there, Jesus is the one guy who is not acting on faith. I know that sounds weird to say because obviously he has faith in God and that's the thing where he just lives there, right? But what I mean is that he's the one guy that isn't acting on faith in what he himself is going to do. Because it's not faith when you're the one that's holding all the cards. And Jesus here is the one in control of the situation. You see, he's not blinded by any delusion that his work is now finished and that this adoring crowd is the new normal and that it's all just going to go rosy from here. No, I mean, you read verse 41, 44. Jesus knows these people around him don't get it yet. He knows that the hardest part of his work is still ahead. So why organize a party for himself? Why had the prophets foretold this moment 500 years before it happened? I mean, isn't it a little premature to declare yourself king? Well, the other guy is still wearing the crown. Isn't it a little premature to guarantee a World Series victory before the season has even started? Isn't it a little premature to celebrate a victory before the battle has been won? Maybe, if you're not Jesus. But you see, Jesus knows who he is. He knows God's plan. He knows what he is going to do. He knows that nothing is going to get in the way of his Victory. And so the fact that the final stage of the battle has started, that means Jesus has already won. So, get the party started. Let's 
celebrate. And I guess that's what we're kind of feeling God's word to us here at Oak Hills Church has been in this season. Not that all the hard things are over and done with. Not that there aren't still battles to fight going forward. But just a simple reminder that because our King, our Lord, our God is Jesus. Well, we can come out of isolation, come out of fear, come out of discouragement, come out of anger, come out of our virtual existence, come out of the bunker-like living that we've had for the last couple of years and start to celebrate that our King Jesus is here. Because sometimes you celebrate because the war is over. Sometimes you celebrate because the tide has turned. Momentum has shifted. The winds have changed. And God is on the move. Would you pray with me? So God, we celebrate. We celebrate that our King is here. We celebrate what you are doing. We celebrate what we know you will do. Even though, yes, we lack faith. Even though, yes, we are afraid of what it might mean for us. We still celebrate because we know that you are good. And when you come, peace comes with you. So we pray for that in Jesus' name.